Let me, let me help you out there a little bit. We all know who the boss is with Adam, right? Becky, I don't know where she's at, but we know who the boss is there. He said, you're my boss, right? He said, no, I know who your boss is. And uh, now we're one of the three girls are all, well, it's you, of course. All three of you are the boss, yeah. So, uh, hey, are we doing okay today? Isn't the Lord good? I tell you, did you enjoy Easter? Do you know what the great thing about Easter is? When Jesus came out of the grave that day, and they say, hey, it's the first Easter. You know what's so cool about that day? Every day is Easter. He's a risen Savior every day. From that day till this one, every day. And you know what? Tomorrow he will be as well. And so uh, we're just excited to be able to be a part of, the, of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. While you're turning there, we... Uh, Got a little thing here about who we are. As uh, Pastor Adam mentioned, we served many years in the Netherlands. We've been church planters along the way. On that journey goes, it's, it's good to have uh, Christy here and, and Case. They were missionaries back in the day with us back there, and uh, she's lived, they live in the area now, and she came to visit. And, and I'll just tell you, God has brought wonderful people, and, uh, and I want you to know that your pastor and his wife and his family did a great job over there. They, uh, they came in, planted a church. And there's a still church there today to the glory of God. Amen. And they did other things. And, and we, you know that they're great folks. Yeah, you guys know that already. I don't have to tell you that. But we've, uh, while we were over there, we got a real heart for uh, reaching uh, uh, unreached groups. And we discovered that uh, in, uh, in Europe, while there's unreached people, there's not, a, there's not many indigenous unreached people groups. And so we've made a move now. Uh, 25 years ago, we said to the Foreign Missions Committee that we would go to the Netherlands or the Netherlands Antilles, which are the Aruba and, and Curacao and Bonaire, and then we, we throw Suriname in there, and Dutch-speaking part of Latin America. So we have made the, the switch here, Marquita and I, we've raised, we went to the Netherlands with two kids and came back with three. So we tell people, yes, we do have a Dutch baby. We, I mean, we really do. They're, they do exist. Yeah, case, case, yeah, cases to Dutch. Case, like, don't talk to me now, Tim. Don't do that to me. So... So we, uh, uh, but our boys grew up and uh, they're doing well. We've got two that live here in Texas and one in Wyoming and two are married and we've got three granddaughters and, uh, and then we have one who's 21 and we are taking applications. So uh, he's single. <laughs> no, I'm, we really are. No, no, no. He's going to kill me if he's watching son. Okay, anyway. So, um, but let me get back to this. You'll see that one of the things that we've discovered is that in the remote areas, where the, where the gospel, Jesus said you take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we are working at doing that as we go to isolated islands and places where the gospel hasn't reached. And even into the jungle areas there in Suriname and even Guyana as the opportunity arises. We find that there are people that, uh, that live there. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're also looking at developing a ministry we call the Remote People's Project which will involve more of teams coming. This is really at the first beginning of it because we believe that it's time for the Church of Jesus Christ to be a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not just the missionaries, but everybody. Yeah. All of us get to be a part of it. And for some, that means, you know, we talk about we all are called to, to pray and to give and to go, but some are called to extravagant praying, some are called to extravagant giving, and some are called to extravagant going. And so it's all of us just finding our place and being a part of that. You'll also see that we talk about training leaders and we have some other initiatives there. But church planting is our main theme of really what we're about and what we do and what we've done for years. And this morning I want to talk to, a missionary, talk to you about a missionary who, that first missionary, who struggled because he, he was a church planter as well. And so now I tell people, Pastor Adam, that in English I can preach two or three hours. But in Dutch I can only go 20 minutes. 
So if you want a Dutch sermon, I can do that or an English one. We'll take a vote. Yeah, one guy. We'll take the Dutch one because he's the only guy in the room who's going to know what we're saying. So why don't we keep a Dutch sermon in English? Is that okay? Keep it short. But why don't we all stand? And I'd like to pray in Dutch before we look at this word together. Well, I'll read the one passage first. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and it says this. But thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one were the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life and who is equal to such a task. Let's pray together. Lief for Father Hamel, danke Jesus for von Morgen and for these immense and for these gemeente, bis so dankbar Jesus for unser Vorganger, Pastor Adam and Becky, and Jesus, we ook that you come, zeg what you will take on van dag, do in our heart what you will van dag, and Jesus, we so dankbar for the gelegenheid, and we zeker nu in the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Did you get Pastor Adam in that sentence? Did you? Yeah. See, your Dutch is as bad as you thought it was. Turn to somebody as you're being seated and say, you know, your Dutch isn't that bad. You got a few words. Man, I, I moved to the Netherlands at the age of 36, and I knew five words. I knew knife, fork, spoon, cheese, and bread. That's all I knew. And uh, that got me through lunch, but that is about as far as it got me in the Netherlands. So, uh, but we're doing a little better now. Now, this story, if you heard it, uh, forgive me, because it is an old story, but it's a true story. You can find it in a FAA, Federal Aviation Administration magazine. This actually happened. You see, back when the bullet trains were being developed in, in Europe, they were, they were busy putting together bullet trains, and they, they wanted to test the windshields on the bullet trains. So these trains are going 300 miles an hour. So they wanted to test the windshields. And so what they did, they contacted the FAA here in America, and they said, hey, you guys have this thing that you test the windshields of jets. And the guys in there in the office said, yeah, we do. We, we really do have this machine. And kind of the guys you know, locally there that work with it, we call it, the chicken launcher. That's what they called it. And what you would do is you put a bird in the machine and you pull the trigger and extreme speed the bird would come out and hit the windshields of these planes to test them to make sure, because you don't want a plane windshield shattering. And so what they did, the, the Europeans said, can we borrow it? They said, sure. And so they, they sent it over to Europe and these guys went on the train tracks. Here's the bullet train set the machine up, got the video cameras, got the computers, got the sensors. They had, here's the train, there's, a, there's, a, there's the windshield, there's the, the crash test dummy sitting there, and there's a computer control panel back. He's sitting there, everything's live, cameras are going, and they took all of a sudden, they pulled the trigger. And this bird came out of this machine, came out of the chicken launcher, shattered the windshield of the bullet train, took the head off the crash test dummy, and lodged in a back wall. <laughs> oh my goodness, these Europeans are like, man. People are going to die. This is horrible. We got, so they hit, you know, this is before the internet, so they, they hit, they got all the, all the data together, got all the paper, got the videotapes, got it all together, and they shipped it back to the Americans and said, hey, you guys got to help us. People are going to die. We've invested all of this money. Our windshields are not safe. Tell us what to do. So the Americans went down. They went through all the data. They looked at the videos, looked at everything, and they sent back a one-sentence reply to the Europeans. Thaw the chicken. Yeah, let it soak in. Let it soak in. A frozen chicken at 300 miles an hour, friends, is a cannonball. It's a cannonball. And that one sentence changed everything. That's what Paul's doing right here. That's what he's doing. If you look at the passage of Scripture in the beginning at verse 12, 
He says, now I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and I found the Lord had opened a door for me. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. If you jump down at verse 17, unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary to Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. So here this missionary is. He's got this wonderful opportunity in trust. I mean, this is great. If we can just get Titus to show up, this is, gonna, this is, this is the open door we've been waiting for. And Titus doesn't show up, and it's just, that stinks. And I've met some missionaries who live in that stinks. And they just can't get out of it. And then there's over here, there were these guys who were just out there doing their thing for the money. They didn't care about the people. They, and so people are saying, Paul, you're just like them. And Paul's saying, no, that's not me. So Paul's having to defend himself. And he's trying to say, that's not like us. We're not like those people. And so here's Paul writing this wonderful church that he's planted. And he's trying to, and he's, he's dealing with the fact that this didn't happen. And the life just stinks over here. And he's dealing over here where he's got to defend himself. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will spend our entire Christian life living in this stinks or I got to defend myself. Can I tell you something right now? I've learned, friends, after 25 years of being a missionary, Jesus Christ does not need us to defend him. He is big enough to take care of it himself. And when it stinks, we got to thaw the chicken. And that's what Paul does, right? We got to go back to that one thing that reminds us of what's going on. And that's what Paul does. It stinks over here. I'm defending him. He stops everything. And let's bring it all back into perspective. That's what he does right here. But thanks be to God who always leads us. Man, let's not miss that word. It doesn't say thanks be to God that he might lead us. Thanks be to God sometimes he leads us. Thanks be to God he really wants to lead us. Thanks be to God we hope he leads us. It says thanks be to God he always leads us. Man, it should set us free. And that's what it does for Paul here. He says, you know what? Yeah, it stinks over here. Yeah, but you know what? Jesus Christ is always leading us in a victory parade. He does it all the time. Paul is writing here concerning the Roman army. He's writing and telling them because he can see the Roman soldiers. And he, he's heard of the thing called the triumphal procession. Basically what it was when there was a, an army coming against the Romans... The Romans knew we got to get our troops ready. This is going to be hard. And so what we're going to do, we're, we're going to send a smaller group out there first to slow them down. They had asked for volunteers. Who wants to lead? And, and some lieutenant or captain said, look, my, my men and I will go. Now they say, now look, you're not going to live. In fact, all of you are going to be slaughtered. But it will slow them down enough so the big army can get ready to fight and we'll win. And so they would take these people and say, you're not going to live. And you can see the soldiers and the officers going to their families and their loved ones. And they're hugging, hugging their mothers and their wives and their, and their family and their children. Because they know we are not going to survive this. And they would march off to battle. And time and time again, people would be slaughtered in this. But upon occasion, the Roman army is getting ready, the big army. And they look up and here would become the smaller army back. And they say, what are you guys doing here? They say, you're not going to believe this. But we won. And the Romans would be like, what? Oh, yeah. We slaughtered them. We, were, we just beat them. 
and we beat them. And we, in fact, we got some prisoners here with us. And they would have such a great celebration in the city. They would parade through the city and they would put this, this, cat, this captain and his soldiers would be at the front of the parade and the people would come out with incense and there would be this massive, beautiful celebration. People would be celebrating. You could see the wives and the mothers and the families and the fathers saying, my son's back. He was supposed to be slaughtered and he survived it. This is great. Look, you could see this. And Paul, in the middle of this stinks, in the middle of I gotta, I got to defend myself. He stops there and says, you know what? Jesus Christ is always leading us in a parade just like that. You know why? Because Paul is being reminded that when you're hanging on a cross, you are finished. There's no hope for you. You've been beaten. There's a crown of thorns on your head. All your friends have abandoned you. Everything's turned their back on you. You're hanging. They're suspended. If it's in the heavens, you're suspended. They're hanging. Blood coming. And they stick that spear in your side. And the blood rushes out of water. And there you are. You're dead. And they put you in a tomb. There's no hope. But friends, Paul is being reminded that on the third day, when Jesus Christ came out of that tomb, he leads the victory parade Every day. And if he can lead it on that first Easter, friends, he'll lead it in your life too. And that's what Paul's got to remind himself. Wait a minute. It doesn't matter what's happening over here, and it doesn't matter what's happening over here. This tells me right here, thanks be to God, he always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ. Always. And I've been in the points in my life when my friend Joe died of cancer at the age of 50, I fell in a corner at our home when I got the phone call and I took this Bible out and I turned to this passage. I had to see, is it still there? We really thought he'd live. And cancer took him at such a young age. We really thought he would live. And you know what? But thanks because he always leads us. Even when there's death and there's hurt and there's pain, his spirit is there to bring comfort. His power is there to bring, to bring peace till we know this is not the end. This is not the end. And Paul is saying, we've got to be mindful. When this is a mess over here and this is a mess over here, we can stop and say, you know what? Jesus Christ has won the victory here. And then it says, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Paul's saying, wait a minute. Not only does Jesus have this victory. Remember I said they would have the incense burning in the streets. Friends, through us. We become this fragrance of Christ, and it gets to spread where? In North America? No. Through us spreads, you know, in places that are convenient, places that are comfortable? No. Through us spreads everywhere. Everywhere. Now, wait a minute. I understand a little bit about everywhere. Marquita and I, as I mentioned, we, got, we started having this burden for, these, for unreached people, taking the gospel to places maybe. So we went in Europe when we were there, and, and we looked into, well, where are some unreached, indigenous unreached people? Not a lot, but we found a group, the Sami. Now, the Sami are reindeer herders that live above the Arctic Circle. Man, it's cold up there. I mean, it's real cold. And so... I went to my friend Phil, who lived in Stockholm. I said, Phil, let's go do something with the Sami. He said, okay, what do you want to do? He's a young guy. So we did. I said, well, what do you think? He said, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's email everybody we know who might know somebody who knows anybody among the Sami people. So we sent out these emails, sent out 12 emails. We waited two weeks, and no one responded to us. Phil said, what do you want to do? I said, we're going to go anyway. 
He said, where do you want to go? I said, I don't care, Phil, you pick it. So Phil picked the furthest place you can take an airplane in Sweden, above the Arctic Circle. It was the second week of October when we arrived, and it was a blizzard there. I mean, it was a blizzard the second week of October. I mean, it was horrible. I'm, I remember walking across this parking lot, looking at the ground. I could just barely see my shoes walking and saying, what am I doing here? We got in the hotel, that we were only going to be there three days. We just wanted to meet some Sami people who, who we could maybe start something and take in the gospel. Because the Bible says we're supposed to be the fragrance everywhere. What about above the Arctic Circle? So Phil and I went out the first day. We met a lot of people, but we didn't meet any Sami people. And so we got a day and a half left. And the second day, Phil and I were, got together. We're praying, saying, God, we want to meet some people. And Phil and I, the, the blizzard had stopped, but there's still ice and snow everywhere. And Phil and I are out walking. When all of a sudden, I slipped on the ice. I was going down this hill. I went down the hill, and I mean, man, that slipping on the ice is one thing. That landing's another. You know what I mean? It seems like the older I get, the more I, I understand that. I mean, man, I hit the ground, and I had stuff jar I didn't even know I had. I mean, like, oh, my goodness. I got up. I said, Phil, we are finished walking downhill. No more of that. That's crazy talk. We're not going down any more hills. And there was a street corner going this way, a street going that way. I said, well, let's just go this way. We went about three or four blocks, and there's this building, and it says Sami Parliament. It, kind of, it would be the equivalent of like the, the, the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma or something. Sami Parliament. So Phil's doing the selfie thing. We're taking pictures, and I said, Phil, let's go inside. He said, we can't go in there. This is where the gray hair pays off. Well, I'm sorry, the Arctic blonde hair pays off. <laughs> it's Arctic blonde. Let's get that straight. Make that I said, sure we can. What are they going to do, throw us out? We'll just go in there. So Phil and I walked in. We were there about 45 seconds when this lady found us, stopped us, and started talking to us. And her and Phil are doing the Swedish thing, and I'm trying to follow in Dutch. And all of a sudden, she stopped and said in English, are you Phil? She said, I got your email. She was the public relations director for the Sami nation. A Sami person, but more than that, friends, a Sami believer in Jesus Christ. And that night, Phil and I sat in her home with her and her husband and her children. They threw a reindeer bone on the, with meat on it on the table and said, have at it with a knife and said, have at it, guys. It was great. And in the middle of that conversation, I looked at them and I asked this question. Do you know any other Sami believers? And he looked at her and she looked at him and they let me know. We do not know another single Sami Christian that lives among us in this area. We don't know anybody. And my heart broke. Can you imagine if you lived here in Richmond and you and the person sitting next to you were the only two believers that you knew in the whole city? That's it. There's, there's no church for you. And so by the grace of God and with the help of BGMC and those kind of things, can I tell you, though, today we were able to work with them, and today there's a church there for the glory of God to reach the Sami people. Because the Bible says we're to be the fragrance everywhere. And so Marquita and I took this, and we made this move to go to the Dutch-speaking part of Latin America. Just before Christmas, we had the opportunity to go to Suriname, and I'll tell you what, it's not cold in Suriname. No, it's hot. It's real hot. 
I mean, you're about 500 miles from the Arctic, or from the equator, super hot. We got in a car, we drove three and a half hours, stopped by the police, whatever. That was kind of nerve-wracking a little bit. Got a little further, we got to this river that was dammed up. There was a lake with a river. We got in a boat, which was really a tree. Actually, the tree they cut down and dug it out. I sat on a two-by-four. My wife sat on a two-by-four. That's another conversation. You know, she, she was a real trooper. I mean, you wrap everything up in plastic bags because if it rains, you're going to get wet. There's no, and there we go. They put a 19, you know, 92 Johnson outboard motor on the back of it. It's a piece of junk thing. Anyway, they <laughs> tied up. Here we go. We went an hour and 15 minutes down this river, piranha-infected river. Get to this village, get out, and I, they ask us to stand up in front of a group of little children. Now, you see, you have to understand something about this area, area because one of the things that, that I didn't understand, I'm learning, that gripped my heart. You see, one of the most horrific injustices that have occurred in our hemisphere was the issue of slavery 300 years ago. We know what happened in North America. Did you ever wonder what happened in South America? For there were slaves there. Curacao was the hub of the slave trade. And yet in North America, when the slaves ran away, they went north. But in South America, they ran to the jungles. And they still, their descendants still live there today. And so we're standing in this jungle community with children of African descent among us. They're making fun of my hair, <laughs> which I found quite disturbing. But anyway, <laughs> they, they are there. And when we opened our mouths and spoke Dutch to them, because you see, they, they, learned, they, go to, they, they learned Dutch. They were like this American who speaks Dutch. And we're able to present the gospel to the children. And to see them come to Christ as they just, they, they just never experienced this before. And we had a boat, a guy that drove the boat, his name was Beecher, and he, he took us and he took us across the waters, and we were getting ready to leave. In fact, we were in the boat leaving, and he stopped and said, Will you pray over my house? Sure, brother. We went, he, we pulled up, and there was another guy with us, and him and I walked up. Just just let's just take a minute just to pray over this guy, blessing on the guy's house. His house was about the size of the platform right here. Now, there's no roads in this village. There's just dirt paths, and you walk up, and he asked us to take his shoes. Our, we took our shoes off, and we walked on his little porch, which wouldn't be much bigger than just where this altar is right here. We took our shoes off and stepped in to his house, and I'll never forget this moment. He came in and knelt right in the middle of his floor, and he put up both hands. He said, I just want God's blessing in my life. We prayed over him, and all we were praying, the, the prophetic word came that just that this house was going to be like him, that just as he brought people from village to village, this house was going to bring people from darkness to light. This house was going to bring people from death to life right here in this house. This house, is just, it's just this big. We're getting ready to leave. We're putting our shoes on, and two ladies walk up. And to make a long story short, two ladies find Jesus right there on his porch that day before we ever get out of the house. You know why? Because this is supposed to spread everywhere, even in a remote village. The village of Lipidoti in Suriname is supposed to be there too. It's supposed to be in the village of Baku 
it's supposed to be there too. And sometimes as we look at this and we say, well, that sounds really great for over there. It sounds really great for the Arctic, above the Arctic Circle. But what about my house? What about my house? See, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that God can do wonderful things somewhere else. He would never do it here. He would never, he might do it in a church over there, but he would never do it here. I heard of a man, I heard this story from a, a man, and what was happening, he'd been in church a long time. You see, God, it just, it's, it's supposed to be everywhere. And sometimes our everywhere is also church. He had been pastor for like 30 years. Good church, everything's great. It was not in America. And what happened, he was praying one day, and the Holy Spirit said, you know, 30, you'd think after 30 years you pretty much got it all figured out. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, I want to bring a revival to your church. And the guy said, no. Nope. I'm good. We're good, God. Man, we got it all together. It's all good. Been here 30 years. It's all good. Next day he prays. I want to bring a revival to you. No, no, Lord, listen, I'm good. We're good. This went on for weeks. His son was telling me this story. It went on for weeks, months. He's praying. I mean, just got my Bible, going to do the, here we go. When all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, I want to bring a revival to your church. And the guy started getting mad at God. No, God, we're good. We don't need any more of that. We, let's just do our program. Let's just go through the motions. Everybody's happy. Everything's good. We've worked all the details out. Everything. No, Lord, we're good. We don't need anything more. And God says, I want to do this. It got so bad on a Tuesday. Having his devotions. Holy Spirit said, I want to bring a revival to your church. And the guy threw up his hands. Fine. If you want to bring a revival to this church, go right ahead, but I'm not doing anything. I'm too burned out. I'm too tired. I've worked too hard. I've got, look, God, if you want to do it, go ahead, but ask me to do it. We're not going to have any more services. We're not going to do anything special. We're not going to, there's going to be nothing. I don't ask me to do anything. And don't even think about asking my wife. We're not doing anything. Because we've had it. You want a revival, God, you do it. I dare you to pray. <laughs> I dare you. I believe in that moment God said, thank you very much. That was a Tuesday. Now, what would happen in this town when, when, uh, when there were immigrants would come? They were, they were Muslim immigrants coming out of the Middle East, would come into this part of the world. The governments would take these people and put them in camps outside. Now, now they were nice camps, like to feed them and, and give them medical care and take care of them trying to process them, where we're going to put these people. And so there was this camp on the edge of town, and some people in the church had said, you know, we got these, this camp out here, all these people. Why don't we feed them a meal? Let's welcome them to our country and to our city. Let's, let's have a meal for them. So this group got together. Let's have a little meal, a little dinner. Now, they're all Muslims. We're not going to talk about Jesus. We're not going to even tell them we're a church. We're not even going to pray over the meal. Nobody say anything. We're just going to bring them in, give an appropriate meal. When it's over, they'll go home. That'll be great. Welcome. Don't want to offend anybody. 
So on Tuesday, the pastor has this time with the Lord. Fine, God, you want to bring a revival? You do it. Friday night, they got the dinner. They have the dinner. These people come in. from They're all Muslims. They feed them an appropriate meal. Everything's great. Everything's good, man. Smooth. This has been a great evening. Got some translators involved. It's all good. When all of a sudden, they're leaving. Man, you can just see we're sweating. Oh, man, we made it. Nobody, no, no, no tension. Everything's good. They're leaving when there was this one lady. And every church has them. Every church has got them. She didn't make the meeting. She missed the memo. I don't believe she had a Texas draw, but she might have. I'm sure it went something like, hey, y'all, we got church here on Sunday, and we want to invite every one of you to come. Boy, everybody froze. Oh, my goodness. These people, what, 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 we weren't supposed to say anything. They didn't even pray over the meal. We were, no, 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 no. We don't talk about Jesus. We don't talk about church. And she's like, come on, we'd love to have you. They left. Whew. Man, that, that sister about blew it for us, didn't she? Yeah, that was bad. But we made it. It was just one little glitch in the system. Everything's good. We got it. Sunday morning. Tuesday, pastor says, God, do what you want. Friday, a group of people reach out. Sunday. The worship was going like it was here. Which, which, which thanks for worship today. It was great. Worship was going when 60 Muslims came in the, in the church. 60. They sat in the back. They sit back here. They got some translation going for them, trying to understand. And then the guy said this about his dad. He said, my dad got up. And I never heard him preach like that. It was the simple gospel of Jesus Christ being just laid out in front of people. He said, if you, he, he talked the whole gospel, and then he said, if you would like to start over with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come forward and receive him and start a relationship. Just, just come and stand here in the front. And he said, 50 of those 60 Muslims came forward and gave their lives to Jesus. I turned to the man and I said, that's amazing. That's a great story. He said, oh, you don't understand. That was six years ago. We see 20 Muslims a week coming to Jesus in our church every week for six years. You see, friends, the victory parade wants to come through your church. This fragrance wants to be right here. It wants to be here. It wants to move all over the place. Paul is saying, you can get, it stinks over here. I hate defending this stuff over here. Or you can say, I am going to focus on the fact that the, that the grave is empty and Jesus is alive and that you and I are the fragrance that take this gospel everywhere. To the ends of the earth, through the church, and even to home. I, uh, know this story. I met these people. I know these people. There was this couple. They had little kids. And they have, they knew nothing about Jesus. Absolutely nothing. The mom knows nothing. She's in her mid-30s. She's got three little kids. She asked her husband, Don't, do you think maybe we ought to take the little kids to Sunday school? The husband who drank a lot and he was kind of angry. He said, well, whatever you want to do. Well, I'm thinking about taking it. She named it this denomination, other denomination. 
And he started cussing and yelling, you're not taking my blanket blank kids any blanket blank. You're going to take them to blanket blank assembly God church. <laughs> okay. He had heard about it somehow. Okay. And so she went a couple times, Christmas, Easter, that's about it. But one day, a lady in the neighborhood had a Bible study, Methodist lady. Met her, said, hey, why don't you come to the house for Bible study? Tuesday mornings, kids go off to school, come for Bible study, husband at work. And so this lady went because somebody invited her. The only reason she went, somebody invited her. She didn't know yet. She didn't know anything about the Bible, church, nothing. And there in that Bible study in her living room, she gave her life to Jesus. See, friends, when you don't know it all, you just have to know him. And all the rest of it takes care of itself. And so she started going to this Assembly of God church, and she, she didn't know anything, but she said, you know what? I'll do whatever the pastor says. Pastor says you got to read your Bible, read your Bible. Pastor says you got to pray, you pray. Pastor says, you know, you go to church, you go to church, so to Sunday school, you go to prayer meeting, go to church Sunday night. Oh, she did all of it. Whatever the pastor says, we're going to do it. And one day the pastor said, we're going to talk to you about tithing. She didn't work outside of the home, so she went back to her husband and said, listen, they're talking about this thing called tithing. I don't know a lot about it, but you're supposed to give 10% of your income to the church. And that guy, he went nuclear. Okay, what? <laughs> you know, you want to do what? He's cussing and yelling, what? And he said, well, the, the pastor says that we're supposed to do. I don't know. I, I'm just trying to see. I don't know. Fine. And, she, and the man said to her, the first time there's no, the bills aren't paid or there's no food on the table, we're finished with tithing. I dare you to pray that way to God. I dare you. Five years went by. He drank more, got mad, angry more. It's the whole thing. And one day, the church sent that letter they sent in January. And he got the mail. You know, the letter that says how much money you gave the church? He, he opened that letter up. Shoot through the ceiling. I gave how much money? He's so angry. I can't believe what it's. And then, he, and then he made this crucial error. I'm going down there <laughs> to see what my money's going for. And friends, I was sitting there the night. I watched my dad run to an altar. And he changed everything. Because the victory parade came right through my family. It came right through. I saw my dad cry at an altar for an hour. All the pain and all the anger. He got up and he never drank again. He became a deacon in his church and served as a greeter for 40 years and a deacon for probably 30. Jesus changed our family just like that. Because the victory parade. Thanks be to God. He always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ. And through us, he spreads the fragrance everywhere. Even to your home. Even into your living room. Even to your family reunion. Even to your grandkids and your kids. Even to the wayward son. Even to the troubled daughter. Even to that family member who's so angry. He wants to take the fragrance there. And he does it through us. To the ends of the earth right at your kitchen table. He wants to do it everywhere. 
I'm going to invite Pastor Adam to come, and we're going to pray. And what I'd like to do, I'm going to pray for you. With every head bowed and eye closed, it's a simple, simple request. If you would like the Victory Parade wants to come into your heart, maybe you're not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And it's so simple. It's the, it's the simplest Dutch prayer I ever heard was, God, I don't know what to say. Just come deep inside my heart. It's that simple. It's you're opening your life to him. And when you do that, friends, he comes in. He comes in gently and starts working what he wants to do in your life. And so if that's you this morning, I'm just going to invite you with every head bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to invite you to just look at me. And I asked Pastor Adam so that he could see as well because he's going to be here next week. I won't be, but he will. And I want to give you that opportunity. If you'd like to ask Christ to come into your life, maybe you've done it a thousand times, but today it just, it, friends, it's about being, being letting the victory parade come right through you. And secondly, and I felt compelled this morning, you're going to say, just say this simple prayer right now. Lord Jesus, just repeat after me, everybody. Lord Jesus, here I am. Come deep inside my heart. Forgive me. Not for the bad things that I can see that I've done. But for the bad things you can see that I've done. And help me live for you every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now, I also want Pastor Adam for this. Here, brother, you can come. I believe the Lord wants to do something great in your church and do something great through your church. And maybe you're of those who say, no, I'm good. Let's leave it just like this. Or maybe you're like that lady. Pastor, I know I didn't get the memo, but I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. Right there. I want to be that lady. I want you, I'd like for you just to raise, say, say, I'm in. If God wants to bring a revival to our church, I'm in. Pastor, look around. I want you to see these folks. They're committing right here. I'm in, whatever that means. I don't know what that means, but I'm in. And then I'm going to pray for you because I want God to bring a revival to your houses. It changes everything. It changes everything. It changes everything. And the cool thing is today, because of what happened on that day in my house, it happened in Marquita in our house. And now we're seeing it happening in my grandchildren's house. And that's what the power of the gospel does. And so, Lord, right now I invite your Holy Spirit to touch the good folks that are here to have your way, Jesus, and speak to them. Lord, I pray for a revival, for the moving of your spirit in the homes of the people that are here in this place and those watching online. Pour your Holy Spirit out. May they just find themselves, may they find their neighbors finding you on their kitchen, on their kitchen tables, sitting in their cou on their couches. May they find them leading them in sinners' prayers right there, Lord Jesus. The God, the revival is not just, we want it here in the church, we want it outside the walls of the church, God. We want your spirit moving. Let the victory parade come right through this community, Lord God, and right through our hearts and for your glory to the ends of the earth, Lord God, that everywhere the fragrance would go everywhere for your glory in Jesus' name.